Any views or opinions expressed on KUR are not necessarily those of Kutztown University, Kutztown University Student Government, Kutztown University Student Services Incorporated, KUR staff and management or other affiliated organizations. Hey all, you're listening to the Boxwood Banter on Kutztown University Radio. I'm your host for this week, Samantha Smith. My pronouns are she, they, and I work as an undergraduate assistant at the Women's Center. I'm the president of It's On Us, and I'm the vice president of FMLA. The Boxwood Banter is a monthly show hosted by the Boxwood House, home to the Women's Center and the LGBTQ Resource Center, where we have important conversations related to gender, inclusion, equity, relationships, and intersectional identities. Before we start, I want to give all of you listeners a very important reminder. Remember to vote. The last day to register for the mail-in ballot is November 1st, and the polls open November 8th. Now I want to introduce our very special guest, Victoria Simmons, who is our Safe Bricks advocate. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Victoria? Yes, so thank you for having me here, first of all. Um, so my name is Victoria Simmons. I work um, with Safe Burks as the Community Response Specialist. Um, and so what that means is that I am basically able to provide Safe Burks services that are throughout the community on a smaller scale. So that means that I'm on the college campuses throughout Berks County, as well as other community partner sites like the LGBT Center in Greater Reading, as well as other social service agencies like Friend Inc. in Kutztown, the Salvation Army in Hamburg, and other locations. My pronouns are she, her. So I want to bring up some statistics to introduce this topic, first of all. So October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and if you've ever seen purple ribbons, purple is the color for domestic violence awareness. Domestic violence, by definition, is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behaviors as part of a systemic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. Domestic violence includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, and emotional and psychological abuse, and other forms of control. In the United States, an average of 20 people per minute experience intimate partner violence. This equates to more than 10 million abuse victims annually. One in two women and one in three men experience sexual violence at some point in their life. One in seven women and one in 18 men have been stalked. On a typical day, domestic violence hotlines nationwide receive over 20,000 calls. I want to just say, too, you know, in terms of kind of the, de- the definition of domestic violence, that one of the things that we kind of like to differentiate is between domestic violence and intimate partner violence. And that's something that I talk about usually when I'm on campus because, you know, they often get looped in or kind of mixed in together. Mm-hmm. And they, there is an overlap, but there's also a distinction between the two. So when we think of domestic violence, a lot of times we think of male on female violence, you know. And so a lot of times it is kind of thought of as a gendered form of violence. And so in using the term intimate partner violence, that can allow for basically, you know, not referring to you know, this kind of older term meaning domestic violence and referring to intimate partner violence, which is very gender neutral. However, it is also important to use the two distinctly because they can be different as well. Intimate partner violence referring specifically to violence that is committed by intimate partner or maybe a former, an ex-partner. However, domestic violence in general can also not just pertain to a partner. That can be across the family. That could be you know, a, a parent to a child that could be siblings to each other. Um, 
you know, domestic violence is any kind of that familial relationship. So it can be more than just um, than just that intimate partner. So it's helpful to make that distinction as well, because while in Pennsylvania, you know, that is not you can file, for example, a, a protection from abuse order um, against someone who is an intimate partner or against someone who is a family relation. So there are states that require that specification between is this an intimate partner? Is this a family member? You know, and I feel it's important to kind of, you know, make that clear distinction. Um, so I want to jump into some myths and misconceptions about domestic violence. Now, number one is that I want to make sure everybody understands domestic violence is prevalent in every community and affects all people regardless of age, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender, race, religion, disability, or nationality. So our first myth is that you always know when a partner, like one of, one of your partners, is abusive or toxic. Mm -hmm. I always use the phrase, and, and maybe this is a southern colloquialism, but have you ever heard the, the term, you know, uh, what like a frog in a pot of boiling water a what a frog in a pot of boiling water have you ever heard that analogy before no i have not oh okay <laughs> all right yep i think it's a southern thing you know if you have a frog and you put that frog into a pot of boiling water what's the frog gonna do cry i mean yeah that too probably no it's immediately gonna jump out yeah because it senses danger it's like ah this is dangerous this is boiling hot water but if you were to put a frog in a pot of water that was lukewarm and then slowly over time you turn up the heat and turn up the heat and turn up the heat, the frog will cook mm -hmm. and it won't even notice that it's getting hotter and hotter and that its environment is becoming more and more dangerous until it's too late. As odd as that analogy can seem, it feels appropriate because like you were saying, you know, addressing that myth, People may not always recognize the signs of a toxic or abusive relationship, especially if maybe that's the only kind of relationship they've known in their life. The behavior is usually progressive. It's not necessarily one action all at once. Um, and they develop that emotional connection, so then yes, it makes it harder to leave. And absolutely. I think a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just leave? You can just leave. It's easy to leave, which is actually our second myth and misconception that it's easy to leave an abuser. Can you tell us a little bit about why it isn't always? Absolutely. So on average, it takes, you know, an individual an average of seven times leaving, leaving and coming back, leaving and coming back, leaving and coming back before they permanently leave. And that's the average, meaning that there may be some outliers where there may be some individuals it doesn't take that many times. And there may be individuals that it takes dozens and dozens of times and there's a lot of factors that can play into why someone may want to to stay um, that can range from you know not being financially stable that can range from having children with an individual maybe it can relate to um, religion you know and and feelings of not being able to separate from that individual for you know one's own conscious purposes um, it could be that that individual identifies as LGBTQ plus and their partner is threatening to out them. Um, it could be that they're afraid of reporting to law enforcement. A lot of times, you know, there, there are good times and there are people who love their partners and don't want to leave because there is a piece of them that still loves them. And especially when you may, you know, encounter someone who's been in a relationship for a long period of time you know, they're still going to have some feelings of love and affection for that partner. 
Um, and we kind of talk about that also in the cycle of violence that often there is a honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. And so some survivors, you know, may be hopeful and holding out on, you know, the possibility of those happy times again. And no one should be punished or stigmatized because they have hope that there can be good times again in that relationship. So those are some of the barriers. And especially being blamed for staying yes. too. Um, just because you can see, oh, well, this isn't a toxic, this is a toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. It can be really hard to let go of, oh, well, I love them. And so that will lead to a lot of feelings of guilt or ashamed and not be able to tell other people because they're like well there's a part of me that still loves them yes so if I still love them this can't really be that bad yes and I think one of the things too that can act as a barrier is if someone does disclose you know the abuse or um, concerns to maybe a friend or family member and then that friend or family member reacts in you know disgust or blame then what ends up happening is that that individual may now feel that they can't share with that person. That person's no longer a safe person to share with. And ultimately, that can put that person at a higher risk because now they might not have someone to talk to about these concerns and therefore the abuse can escalate and they are further isolated because now there's no one they can speak to about it. Mm -hmm. Our next myth is that domestic violence always involves physical violence. Mm, yeah. So physical violence, you know, I think a lot of times, yeah, our society thinks of physical violence as that is the definition of domestic violence. But there's multiple different types of um, domestic violence and forms of domestic violence, just, you know, to name a few. So some of the ones that we may not always think about, or maybe we do, but there's also emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. There's psychological abuse. So gaslighting. Um, verbal abuse, you know, yelling, name calling, putting someone down, um, sexual abuse. That's one that people don't always recognize as well. You know, especially if it's an intimate partner, you know, they may not recognize that this is sexual abuse. Whereas, you know, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, spouse, you know, there still has to be consent in order for it to not be sexual abuse. Um, or coercion. Mm -hmm. Some of the ones that are not thought about as often are financial abuse, um, although it is estimated to be the most prevalent form of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. It is also the least recognized form of domestic violence. And then two other ones that I think, you know, can also particularly relate to college campuses is isolation and stalking. Yes. Um, you know, if you're with someone who is, you know, not allowing you to hang out with your friends, um, go out and do, you know, other activities, be involved, um, you know, that's a form of isolation and, a, a, you know, a means to continue that power and control. And then stalking is something that I see commonly on college campuses, um, again, following or harassment, showing up where that person is without them telling the other partner where they're at. Um, those are all some different forms of, of domestic violence that we see. It's not just physical. Mm -hmm. And even going back to what you said about sexual violence not necessarily being recognized mm -hmm. in a relationship, it isn't all that long ago that spousal rape was legal. Yes. And I want to say I'm so eyeballing. I, do you know the date? I do. So, or I know the year. So actually, Spousal rape was outlawed in the entire United States finally in 1995, so 27 years ago. It's really not been that long. Mm -hmm. Now, there were some states prior to 1995, but the entire country was 1995. Yes. 
Our next myth is that the woman is always the victim and the man is always the perpetrator. I know you touched a little bit about this earlier. Sure. So again, like you had said, domestic violence can affect anyone of any race, age, gender, ethnicity, religion. It is not just male on female crime. Um, it can be women as perpetrators. That is something that I've seen in, in my job as well. Um, additionally, it can be, you know, in partnerships such as, you know, within the LGBTQ plus community, there's a myriad of range of relationships regarding, you know, it could be female on female. It could be, you know, male on male. There's a, you know, it's not so simple as saying that males are the perpetrator. What is unfortunate is that sometimes in those cases, if it especially is an LGBTQ plus relationship or an LGBTQ plus couple, um, uh, police may be more likely to charge both individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where this kind of idea of mutual abuse comes into play, which is, you know, a pretty loaded term because if we go back to the definition of domestic violence, It's about one person maintaining power and control. There's always a dynamic, you know, both people may be potentially engaging in harmful acts against the other, but there is still a power dynamic at play. Absolutely. And that's what I think people don't always recognize. So whether it's a same sex couple, whether it's a heterosexual couple, um, you know, there still could be a power dynamic. For example, you know, if it was a female abuser, Maybe she's making threats against her male partner. You know, maybe she's the one who is the breadwinner and is controlling him financially to the point where he is unable to leave. Um, You know, it's not so cut and dry or so simple to say that one gender is the only gender capable of committing domestic violence. And for those of you that tuned in last month, um, you'll remember I'm a psych major and I have a minor in sociology and women and gender studies. So a lot of what I study is how sociology tells people to behave based on their gender. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it's very stigmatized for people who identify as men to show emotions or to Mm -hmm. be quote unquote abused because they're supposed to be the bigger, tougher person in a relationship. Absolutely. It ties in a lot with toxic masculinity and, you know, this idea of being macho and how that relates into one also underreporting, you know, looking at the statistics that we just spoke about one in three men experiencing sexual violence you know that's astronomical Mm -hmm. and yet that's so Mm underreported you know so we have these numbers that don't seem to necessarily line up with what our society is saying um, because a lot of that stigma and how society tells us that we should behave based on our gender Mm -hmm. and our last myth and misconception is that you would know if a friend is abusing their partner or if they were being abused by their partner Mm. That's, yeah, that's a very heavy one. And I think it happens so much more often than people think. Um, I think quite honestly, instances of domestic violence, not just domestic violence, but sexual assault as well. That's a scary thought for someone to, um, to really envision. I think that often we also demonize people who are committing acts of domestic violence and sexual assault and obviously we're not condoning that but we need to recognize that these people are also human 
by making these acts out to be that this person is inhuman, is a monster, mm -hmm. it almost makes it harder for people to then be believed. The idea of someone you know committing an act of domestic violence or sexual assault is scary. And a lot of people, I think, don't want to accept that reality. Mm -hmm. The reason for it being, and what I think can add so much to victim blaming, is that if friends of the victim end up believing the victim, they have to accept the reality that this could just as easily have happened to them. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to accept that. People want to believe that domestic violence does only happen to, you know, this group or that group, this race of people, this socioeconomic status, you know, this culture. People want to believe that they are immune to domestic violence or sexual assault. And having someone disclosed to them can make someone really uncomfortable. And when someone's uncomfortable, they may result to victim blaming. And that really ties into a lot of why people victim blame. You, um, it's really easy to say, well, I would never blame a victim. Like, I know it's not their fault. But when it's somebody that you know, it's like, well, you have to have done something to deserve it. Because that means if you didn't and I didn't, it could just as easily happen like you exactly. just said. Exactly. Exactly. All right, I want to pivot our conversation a little bit. We're going to start talking about healthy versus unhealthy relationships. So these are some different signs that you can use to help identify whether your relationship is healthy or unhealthy. And a relationship in this scenario doesn't have to just be intimate relationship, sexual relationship, physical relationship. It can be friendships. It can be your relationships with your family members, your friends, your professors, your anybody who's in your life. So these um, 10 Facts for Healthy and Unhealthy Relationships were both put together by One Love, which is an organization dedicated to educating young people about the signs of domestic violence. And it is was created in honor of Yardley Love, who was unfortunately killed by a domestic partner. And so our first point on our healthy relationships list is a comfortable pace. It's really easy for um, intensity to take over and somebody to want to be with you all the time. But if you are just starting a relationship and you're like, okay, I want to be with you like this day, once a week, or like it can grow. It doesn't have to automatically start and you're seeing that person every day. Our next point is honesty. I think this is one that we can all agree on that just having an honest relationship and that goes into trust, which is another one of our points, being able to feel safe and comfortable and not have to doubt your partner is crucial for a relationship. I think respect, you know, that third one there, I think respect can also tie into a lot of these, you know, and going back to comfortable pace, respecting whatever your partner's pace is mm -hmm. um, and respecting, you know, whatever that mutual decision is and coming to that, you know, agreement together. And respecting their pace, even if it's not what you want. Yes. Because in the end, everybody has to have agency over themselves and over their bodies. So if we're saying, oh, well, I want this, so that's more important, that is not healthy. Um, our next one is kindness. I think this goes for everybody when you just say you want to know people that are kind. I know a lot of people have a first date rule, seeing how people respond to waiters or waitresses mm -hmm. or anybody who's working in a position for them at the time. Um, because if somebody is really rude to them, it's just a red flag that goes off immediately. Absolutely. Our next one is healthy conflict. So this one ties into a lot of the points on our list, and it's that let's 
take a scenario. So say I disagree on XYZ. Um, doesn't matter what point, but just say I disagree on something that's not major, it's not huge life altering, but I just disagree on it. And if I feel comfortable enough to talk to my partner about it and say, hey, like this is kind of bothering me or this is what I think, I know it's not what you think, I shouldn't have to be afraid of that. I shouldn't be afraid of them blackmailing me that like, yes. oh, they're going to break up with me if I say this thing, if I do this thing. I shouldn't be worried about yelling, screaming, breaking, um, even just like making you feel bad. And that comes to honesty, too. You can be honest because you trust your partner to act appropriately when you have a conflict. And it can be hard sometimes with anger. And one of the signs that um, a lot of people think is unhealthy is just walking away from a conversation for a little bit. But that is very healthy to do, especially when you're in an argument, because anger can really inflate emotions. And we can all say things that we don't mean. But in the heat of the moment, we're angry. We want to say something that's going to hurt somebody. And so taking that space and time to collect your thoughts, to cool down a little bit separately and be like, okay, now I feel comfortable enough to continue this conversation and nothing major or no blow up is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize too that some, the ways that some people conduct their relationships or something that may work for, you know, two individuals, whomever, or, you know, a group of partners may not work for all partners. Mm -hmm. And that you know again that goes back to that respect respecting what the other person needs um while also respecting yourself i think it can really relate to self-respect as well and that kind of ties into our next two with you mentioned trust but also independence being able to be your own individual autonomous person outside of you know and having an identity in addition to you know your partner mm -hmm. um being your own person and knowing that your partner respects your autonomy and you know your aspirations in life as an individual and just your identity as an individual yes. you don't have to all agree on the same things like mm -hmm. oh well we believe this and we believe that mm -hmm. yes some things you're going to agree on naturally yes. but you don't have to agree on everything mm -hmm. and you also don't have to put your values aside or your beliefs aside Absolutely. just to keep somebody else happy that's another sign of a toxic relationship mm -hmm. um, our next one on here is equality but I also want to add that equality and equity are two different things, and we should theoretically strive for both. So equality, the um, idea that I use is kind of you're standing on a platform, and there's like a nine-foot wall over your head. And somebody um, is six feet, somebody is like five feet, and you give them both a like two-foot ladder. It's going to be easy for somebody who's six feet to get over. It's going to be harder for somebody who's five foot. Whereas equity would be giving that five-foot person a two-foot ladder, mm -hmm. giving the six-foot person a... You get what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, that's I'm mathing in my head, but just being able to get over how you need to. Mm -hmm. So it's like equal in the opportunities, not necessarily equal in you get this and you get this because that's equal. Mm -hmm. But just getting what you need. Yes. Um, our next one is taking responsibility. This one goes mm -hmm. back to healthy conflict and relationships. We are human. We're going to screw up. It yes. is inevitable. Yes. But always blaming somebody else, circumstance, your partner, especially um, if somebody gets mad and they're like, throw a dish across the floor. And they're like, well, you made me do that. Everybody's responsible for themselves mm -hmm. and for their own actions. So being able to take responsibility and say, hey, like I was, um, I don't know, driving and I scratched the car. Being able to take responsibility 
responsibility and be like, oh, no, it was like somebody else's fault because blah, 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 blah. Sometimes it is somebody else's fault, but I digress. <laughs> that also goes back to all the healthy conflict, the trust, the honesty, the mm-hmm. feeling comfortable enough to say, hey, I screwed up. Um, I know you might be mad or disappointed and you're allowed to be mad or disappointed in people, but taking it out on them repeatedly, mm-hmm. bringing it up for years, mm-hmm. um, that's signs of unhealthy relationships. Yeah. You're al- entitled to, or, or you're allowed to have your emotions. Your emotions are valid, but you know, we need to be cognizant of how we project those emotions onto other people because other people are not responsible for our emotions. Mm-hmm. And our last point on here is fun. I, I love that. I, I love that that's on there and so necessary um, and a sign of a healthy relationship. I, I could not agree more with that one. And I think a lot of times in these conversations, we think, oh, we have to use these like big, mm-hmm. huge words and the source, mm-hmm. everything. Just have fun. Yes. Uh, make your partner happy. I saw a TikTok video and the girl really wanted to dance in the street and the guy like grabbed her hand, twirled her around once and he was like, you're so hard to please. I'm like, that was such an easy thing to do to be nice to somebody mm-hmm. and to just make your partner happy. It wasn't like she was asking you to like stand in the middle of a busy street and dance. It mm-hmm. was just on the side. Like, mm-hmm. um, so just being able to have fun with each other. And I also want to add communication to this list, oh, which kind of yes. goes into everything we've been talking about Absolutely. with honesty, respect, healthy conflict and taking responsibility is that if you don't tell somebody what's bothering you Mm -hmm. they can't know as much as i wish people could read my mind so i don't have (laughs) to figure out what i'm thinking i do have to figure out what i'm thinking and feeling and if i don't communicate to Mm -hmm. that to people i can't expect them to know but you're also allowed to expect the same from your partner your friend your Mm -hmm. parents whatever is that you don't have to read their minds and i know as somebody who's a chronic overthinker i would go home every day and dissect my entire conversation life and I would say oh well like I said this this is so dumb they must be mad at me now and I would get so Mm. mad at myself but I've come to realize that it's not my fault if people don't tell me what's bothering them now if they're like if I go to hug somebody and they push me away that I should figure that out but if I am like talking a lot and somebody's annoyed it's not my fault if they don't tell me that I need to slow down or if I need to go on to a different topic because mm-hmm. I can't read their mind. Right. So going on to our unhealthy relationship list, the first one is intensity. This is kind of the opposite of the comfortable pace mm-hmm. when you want to just be with somebody 24 um, seven. That can come with a lot of um, hyper focus mm. or hyper fixations. Um, our next one is possessiveness. Just wanting somebody all the time wanting to control their Mm -hmm. emotions thoughts texts relationships Mm -hmm. and i think to to go back to intensity for a minute i think that you know relationships can feel especially at the beginning Mm -hmm. can feel that intense feelings and intense emotions Mm -hmm. there is a vast difference between you know a healthy level of you know what i would maybe refer to as passion Mm -hmm. or emotion in, you know, as opposed to intensity, you know, um, and how that really can tie into possessiveness, you know, maybe that's like, all right, we're, we're bound for life now. We're going to be together forever. You know, we're going to get married now. This is how many children we're going to have. You're going to do this and this and this. And it's just very, I think, emotionally draining. Whereas I think there can be intense emotions or passion that doesn't feel maybe, emotionally draining that that may be more you know 
common in those beginning relationships. And I want to clarify too, with this list, if you see these traits in yourself, it does not make you necessarily a bad or abusive person. No. It just means that you have toxic traits, like we all do, that we have to recognize. I know I've been known to be intense in relationships because neurodivergency, ADHD, hyperfixations. And I'll be like, oh, like this is so cool. I want to do this all the time. But mm-hmm. learning how to handle that. And people are going to have different levels of intensity in relationships too. Some people will be friends and be like, oh, we both want to like hang out like every day. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But some people are going to be like, I don't want to hang out every day because I have other things to do. And that's where a lot of healthy communication can go in. Just being like, hey, you are being very intense for me and it's not making me comfortable and it's not a sign that like you're a bad person Mm -hmm. it's just that they're communicating their needs to you yeah and I think once we get to the end of you know different unhealthy traits I think it's also important for us to maybe in addition to those some of those unhealthy traits talk about the difference between unhealthy traits and then lethal traits you know one of the things that we talk about um or that you know we train uh, law enforcement in through safe Berks is lethality assessment Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was able to observe just a couple weeks ago a lethality assessment um, provided by our SART coordinator and basically that talks about not just these unhealthy traits because yes we're identifying these healthy unhealthy traits but then also identifying what are the things that could go even a step further and be deadly and what is a SART coordinator? Our SART coordinator, so that stands for our Sexual Assault Response Team Coordinator. Um, her name is Marissa Fahm, and so she works um, to educate law enforcement, um, work primarily with individuals who have been victims of sexual assault, also in a community-related uh, sense. Gotcha. All right, so our next one is manipulation. Mm. Um, just a lot of trying to control people. Or say like, oh, well, like you can't do this because of X, Y, Z. I think this could also go hand in hand with what we were talking about earlier with like psychological abuse or gaslighting. Mm-hmm. I think gaslighting is a way that people can be manipulative. Mm-hmm. Isolation is another big one. We were talking mm-hmm. about independence and how healthy it is to be able to hang out with friends separately. Um, but when somebody's routinely pulling you away from your friends saying well I don't like you when you hang out with them I don't like going to your parents because they think this and just cutting you off from everybody in your life that can make people feel very alone and like they cut all their ties so then nobody cares and nobody is around to help yes and it's you know it's intentional isolation is an intentional um, form of abuse because it is essentially making that person completely and totally dependent on them Mm -hmm. So they don't have anyone else. You're exactly right. Our next one is sabotage. Just, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but Mm. trying to cut off opportunities from people or say like, hey, I don't want you to do this because then you are going to like go across the country for this amazing job opportunity. And even though it's great for you, like it's not what I want. Mm -hmm. So I want to control you and I want to sabotage your opportunities because I think that what I want is more important. Yeah. Our next one is belittling, just putting people down, making feel, making them feel bad about themselves. This is a lot of bullying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, well, you're crazy. That's a lot of gaslighting mm-hmm. or you don't deserve this or you deserve what I did because you made me do it mm-hmm. and it's your fault and you're dumb and you're stupid and you can't do anything. And yeah. all of that's untrue, by the way. 
And that ties in a lot with that emotional and verbal abuse as well. You know, those put downs, those repeated, you know, belittling and making someone feel so worthless. And, and that can add to not just that idea of isolation, but eventually, you know, if you're told something so many times, you begin to believe that. And as your self-worth just diminishes being repeatedly told, you know, all of these things about yourself, it makes it so much harder for someone to reach out for help because they come to a point where I think a lot of people feel like they aren't worthy of help. They aren't deserving of help Mm -hmm. because their self-worth has been just beaten down by someone who's belittling them. And those three can all go hand in hand with isolation and sabotage and belittling. It mm-hmm. could be talking um, to people behind your back and saying like, oh, like they did this and this. So like your friends cut you off instead of you mm-hmm. cutting them off. Our next one is guilting. Um, I'll hear a lot, this one a lot with like, oh, well, like I just want like to do it a little bit in like regards to sex or something. They're like, mm-hmm. I just want to do it a little bit. Like, come on, like constant coercion. Mm-hmm. Don't or, you love me? You know, or Yeah come on, I thought you like liked me. Mm-hmm. Do you not like me anymore? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of guilting and Or I did this for you last week. I did this for you. I bought you dinner. You know, I took you shopping. I did this. I did this. You know, kind of this this keeping score um, of, you know, tallying and, and making someone feel like they owe you for something. Mm-hmm. Our next one is volatility. This is, I think, a very common one when people think of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. It's your anger. It's your rage. It's your yelling and screaming and throwing and hitting. And just your absolute explosion over even the smallest things. Like if you drop a dish accidentally yes. and somebody goes like explodes over that or if you I don't know come home a little bit later you forgot to text them or something like that yeah and then to talk just very briefly about you know the lethality aspect of in addition to those traits like I mentioned earlier um, you know when we talk about lethality some of the things that we really you know um, harp on are things involving stalking Mm -hmm. stalking is a huge um I guess precursor or can be a very severe precursor to potential domestic violence homicide. Um, Someone who's been stalked within the past year um, is at an increased risk of being killed within the next year, whether it be by a partner or an ex-partner. Additionally, firearms. Firearms is one of the biggest ones. You know, when we talk about loss of life and domestic violence homicide, um, we just had our silent witness march and dedication on Monday, the 17th, um, where, you know, we carried the silhouettes of victims who have lost their life as a result of domestic violence homicide here in Berks County. Since 1999, there have been 80 victims of domestic violence homicide. Um, and when you look at the statistics of causes of death, the overwhelming majority is a result of gun violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talk about if there's a firearm in the home or if a partner has access to a firearm, that that actually can increase the chances of lethality by 500%. And that's actually a statistic that has been reported by um, the National Coalition Against Domesticviolence.org is where that's from. Additionally, strangulation. Strangulation Mm -hmm. is another one that we refer to. A lot of times people will call it choking. Um, But strangulation is also um, a big red flag in talking about potential for lethality um, because that's, you know, strangulation can be 
again, just like we talked about with gun violence, a huge um, loss of life. Um, it's one of the other leading causes it is strangulation as well. Um, so we also mentioned that. And then lastly, separation. Separation is also um, separation and then threats. You know, if there's threats of violence, if someone has said, you know, has made threats that they're going to kill you, then that also is, you know, an indicator that, hey, this person may actually go through with that. Um, and so those are some of the things that in addition to those unhealthy traits that we just talked about, those are some of the things that can end up being lethal um, in terms of a domestic violence relationship. And from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in two female murder victims and about one in 13 male murder victims are killed by an intimate partner. Yes. The highest percentage of individuals affected by domestic violence um, is African-American women. Um, there is a statistic that um, was recently released stating that um, the number one cause of death for um, black women ages 15 through 45 is domestic violence homicide. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just absolutely ridiculous. It should not, that should never be the case. That shouldn't be the case, period. And about 20% of domestic violence victims are friends, family, bystanders, law enforcement, not necessarily just the person who's involved in the intimate relationship. Yes, absolutely. It can be, you know, it could be an intimate partner. It could be that um, a former partner, um, you know, comes and kills, you know, the current partner. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that there was a, you know, a husband and wife and... Um, who are divorced and the wife, you know, um, engages in a new relationship with a new partner and, you know, the husband then, the ex-husband then, you know, kills the wife and kills, you know, the new partner. Mm -hmm. So there can be multiple people affected by this, including pets as well. Our next one is deflecting responsibility. So just like we talked about accepting responsibility for your actions, this is saying, hey, well, I didn't mean to because it's this person's fault or it's your fault that I did this because you made me angry. You made me something. Um, yes, your words can cause emotions in people, but you can't make people mm -hmm. feel or do anything unless it's by threat. Yes. And then our last one is betrayal. This is kind of comes up a lot with trust. And it's that if somebody talks about you behind your back or says one thing to your face and says something else to somebody else and just makes you feel like you don't matter enough to tell them the truth um, and being two-faced, cheating on people, being intentionally dishonest or disloyal. Do you have any other signs of healthy or unhealthy relationships you want to bring up? No, I think... I think what you have is good. All right. I want to say to everybody out there, you all deserve to have healthy relationships and you all deserve beautiful things in life. I know this is a heavy topic, so I want to take a break right now, invite you all to take a deep breath, grab some water, and we'll be back in a minute. Here at KUR, we like to think we're doing something that not many of those corporate-owned radio stations out there do any longer, providing our listeners with local content provided by local KU students and staff, interspersed with some of the finest and national content available. From our transitional format called Radio for Pets to all the great student specialty shows which range from rock to rhythm and blues to country to folk to world music to indie music 
to jazz and much more, right down to various educational talk programs and live sports on the weekend. KUR is the perfect package. Check out our on-air schedule by going to our website at www.kutztown.edu slash KUR. That's www.kutztown.edu slash KUR. And if you ever have any comments about our programming, something you'd like or don't like, don't hesitate to email us at KUR at kutztown.edu. That's KUR at kutztown.edu. Thanks for listening to your campus and community radio station right here at Kutztown. The radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. All right, welcome back. For those of you that have been tuned in with us, we are talking about Domestic Violence Awareness Month and Healthy Unhealthy Relationships. My name is Samantha, my pronouns are she, they, and I'm here with our Safe Brooks advocate, Victoria Simmons. And I'm Victoria, and my pronouns are she, her pronouns. Thank you. All right, so we want to jump into some how to set boundaries now. Um, it can be really hard to learn in the beginning how to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And a big misconception is that you only set boundaries with other people. But you can also set boundaries with yourself. Some different kinds are time boundaries, physical boundaries, emotional, sexual, financial, and material. Of course, there are always others. So an example that I use often is... I have a time boundary that I don't check my emails from 9 p.m. to 7 Mm a.m. Am I always good at it? No. (laughs) But that's why we work on our boundaries. Um, But I will do that just for my own mental health. And some people will not understand that and be like, oh, well, I need you to check your email at this time because this was an emergency. And I'll just say, no, I need to preserve my own mental health. I'm not going to keep my phone on 24-7 waiting for something big to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But also a big aspect of setting boundaries is just valuing and loving yourself and that is so much easier said than done Mm -hmm. but just know that you deserve beautiful things and amazing things and that you deserve to be able to set your boundaries and if somebody gets mad at that if somebody we were talking about unhealthy relationships if somebody explodes or becomes volatile at that that is not on you and you don't deserve or nor do you have to feel guilty for setting your boundary because in the end, it's your life and you're important to yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of times, and this is more speaking from a personal perspective, but I feel like sometimes it's hard to set boundaries for individuals who are incredibly empathic mm-hmm. and also people who maybe are, are people pleasers. Yes. Those are two areas that I think make it especially tricky to set those boundaries because when you have so much empathy or care for someone, it feels like you shouldn't set boundaries. It feels like you should care 24 seven. You should be accessible or available. And same thing, you know, tying in with people pleasing. Well, I really want this person to feel happy. I want this person to be okay. So I'm going to be accessible 24 seven and check my email after hours. And so one of the best things in terms of, you know, kind of mitigating those, those feelings is also reminding ourselves that, if we really truly want to be the best friend we can be, the best partner we can be, the best support or student, whomever that we can be, it's necessary for us to have those boundaries in place because ultimately our, we can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. We can't give of ourselves when we don't have enough to give. And so by giving to ourselves and allowing those boundaries, then it means that we're going to be able to further be empathic to people, you know, and have better discernment of when that can be. 
And I know it can be really difficult to figure out how to start setting boundaries, especially if you are a people pleaser. And as a recovering people pleaser, I absolutely understand. (laughs) Um, We give this amazing presentation with It's On Us in the Women's Center about setting boundaries and empowerment. And a lot of it isn't focused on boundaries. It's focused on empowering yourself and loving yourself and valuing yourself enough to understand that you're allowed to set boundaries without guilt. And you're allowed to communicate those without guilt. Learning how to say no is one of the most freeing things that I think we can do for ourselves Mm -hmm. and recognizing that it's okay for us to say no and the world's not going to end. It's not going to completely and totally fall apart. The world's going to keep turning. People are going to be okay. Even if someone's disappointed in us, it's going to be okay. We're allowed to say no. Mm -hmm. And we're humans. We're going to screw up and people are going to be disappointed in us anyway. Yes. But this is something that just because they're disappointed in you doesn't mean that you should feel guilty about. Absolutely. Um, so just remember that you're allowed to do what is best for you, even if it upsets others. What are some boundaries that you have, Victoria? So I think actually with, with what you were saying, and I'll be honest, I definitely feel like boundaries is something that I can struggle with in, in wanting to constantly be present for people. And so for me, having to set those boundaries of, okay, you know, um, when I get home, just like you were saying, I'm, I'm not going to check my email or I'm not going to maybe check my work phone mm-hmm. um, unless I'm on call, um, mm-hmm. in which case, yes, I will check my work phone. But if I'm not on call, trying to be really diligent about, you know, knowing that I don't need to be responding to messages, you know, late at night that, you know, we have 24 seven services available. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll talk about, you know, all the services that Safe Perks provides, but But knowing that I don't have to constantly be um, a point of contact, there are other resources. Um, Those are some of my boundaries, Mm -hmm. I think. And just because somebody reaches out and they're like, hey, like, I feel like my world is falling apart. Can you help? Um, Trauma dumping, I know, is something that a lot of us Mm -hmm. have had happen. Um, You're not obligated to help, even if you feel like you are. You can say, look, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now or I'm not qualified enough to help you right now or my mental health is not good enough right now but here are other resources or um, just because you reach out to somebody and be like hey like I need help um, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be other people that want to help and it doesn't mean there aren't so many resources both local and nationally and ultimately you know if we take this stance of you know we need to be that individual or friends help in every instance in every circumstance ultimately we're doing them a disservice we're doing them a disservice by not providing the best resources available to them and thinking that somehow we are capable of providing everything they need because we're not Mm -hmm. that's why there are so many other resources you know in terms of Um, mental health resources in terms of suicide hotline resources because ultimately we cannot be there to um, remedy every single solution that's why there are so there's a myriad of other experts we can't Mm -hmm. be an expert in everything and one of the best things we can do is connect people with the best types of services that would be helpful for them and not put that just on ourselves So for those of you that need a very concrete step-by-step plan, it does not always work, but something you can do is step one, write down something that bothers you, something you want to change. Step two, write down some way that you think that could be remedied. Step three, create a boundary out of it. Um, Step four, practice it. So sometimes practicing it um, includes asking other people for accountability or 
writing it down and saying, I'm going to do this every day and keeping track of how often you do it and how yes. often you don't. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk about some silent signs of domestic violence. Yes. Do you want to talk about some of those first? Or you want me to talk about them? I can talk about some. All right. So it can be really hard to recognize when somebody is in an abusive relationship, especially when it's a friend and you want to help. Um, so one of the signs that I've heard is when they're constantly on their phone, checking their phone, worried about something, um, when they'll like walk out in the middle of class because they have to answer a certain phone call from their partner, mm-hmm. um, when they'll leave any and all opportunities because of their partner, when they'll give up mm-hmm. things that they want because of their partner. Yes. Yes. Really not having any agency, any in, um, independence being, um, one thing that I'll sometimes see is, is having to ask for permission, even for little things, you know, maybe it's, oh, you know, I, I can't go to the grocery store because, well, uh, my, my partner hasn't given me any money for me to go to the grocery mm-hmm. store. Okay, well, why why would you need someone to give you money? No, you mm-hmm. that's, that sounds like there could be possibly some financial abuse going on there. Or, you know, saying, I, I can't go out, I can't leave tonight, you know, because um, that would make my partner upset. Or mm-hmm. I have to ask them first before I'm allowed to go out with friends. It sounds like there's some isolation, some control going on there. Or like my boyfriend girlfriend partner doesn't like it when I hang out with you so I can't hang out with Mm -hmm. you anymore or if you're shopping and they're like well my partner wouldn't like this Mm -hmm. um have little comments like that that sound like their partner is dictating their life yes or their choices their autonomy and individuality Mm -hmm. as a human being absolutely and then you know ones such as um not speaking for themselves not answering Mm -hmm. for themselves you know if if someone is let's say asking one individual question and their partner is answering for them, um, you know, that can also be an example. And then lastly, you know, we were talking some about, you know, physical violence as well. And I think it worth, it's worth mentioning, you know, bruises as well or unexplained injuries um, is a potential sign. Although I think another thing that's helpful to, to address is that victims of domestic violence, um, you know, often don't show bruising. Mm-hmm. Um, Victims who are strangled often don't show bruising. So it could be even severe violence and there still may not be bruising. Um, but it still is worth taking note of. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back for a minute too to how we were talking about how hard it is for people sometimes to get out of a um, toxic abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that can stem from feeling like your abuse isn't bad enough to warrant yes. talking to people because Absolutely. maybe you don't have bruises or you're not physically abused or you're not sexually abused maybe it's just financial financial or emotional abuse but that is still abuse and yes. you still deserve to talk to other people even if in your mind it isn't quote unquote bad enough mm-hmm. to talk about or it isn't it could be worse just because it could be worse doesn't mean you deserve to have to go through bad things right we don't need to invalidate ourselves and our own experiences i think um a frustration that i have i think is especially in the way that the media portrays um, domestic violence as well as sexual assault because you know in movies and television shows what have you you know we're exposed to this very dramatic Mm -hmm. idea not to say that it doesn't happen because it absolutely does but maybe a better way of saying it would be a very specific idea of this is what domestic violence looks like this is what sexual assault or rape looks like it looks like screaming, hitting, crying, fighting. It looks like, you know, 
it, it looks incredibly violent all the time and when in reality that may not always be the case but that does not take away from the fact that it's abuse and mm -hmm. so I think you're exactly right that oftentimes people judge themselves and say well you know what I went through wasn't as bad as what you know maybe my friend went through or it didn't look like how it looked in this movie and no I don't think that's necessarily a conscious thought people have I think that's mm -hmm. an unconscious bias that yes. maybe people have um, but I do feel that it influences the ways in which people may engage in services um, when we talk about reasons that people don't report um, specifically in terms of sexual assault um, when we're talking about college campus, uh, there was a recent study, it was in 2019, um, and it was by the American Association of Universities. But within this study, the qualitative report allowed for students to basically write in what were the reasons that they, you know, didn't wish to report, you know, sexual assault. And 43.9% of students reported that they felt like the incident was not serious enough to report. Mm -hmm. That is a huge amount of people that their primary reason for not reporting is because they did not feel that it was serious enough to report. And that's devastating. And a lot of, I like what you said with the media, it's really important because I call it the scary man knife alley effect. Mm -hmm. And it's always, oh, it's dark and there's somebody who attacks you out front. No, um, I'm going to say a statistic and again, you have to fact check me, but it's around 80 to 90 percent are people who are known to the victims. Yes, yes, you're correct. And it's between 80 and 90 percent. Um, I would say closer to 90 percent mm -hmm. of um, all sexual assaults are um, by an acquaintance, um, someone who is known to the victim. Um, around 10 percent or less are um, stranger assaults. So that idea of you know, stranger in the bushes, um, someone walking in a dark alley. Now, the other thing that's additionally concerning is within that 90% of, um, you know, acquaintances, approximately 50% are identified as a friend or a close friend. Mm -hmm. So it's not that people are being assaulted by someone lurking in the shadows. They're being assaulted by a friend, someone that they trust. Mm-hmm. So how do you help a friend that is in an abusive relationship? Um, once you are able to identify, yes, I think this person is in an unhealthy, toxic, abusive relationship, it can be hard to figure out what to do next mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us are very empathetic and we want to help people. So some things you can do, and again, not everything is going to work for everybody. Um, you can try to start a conversation on a positive note. Um, you can always, you always want to be supportive, but you also want to focus on the unhealthy behaviors that their partner is exhibiting. Like if their partner is like grabbing them and like pulling them close and they're like trying to shoo them off, you can just say, Hey, like that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And they don't get to treat you like that. Um, you definitely want to keep your conversation friendly. You don't want to sound like you're ranting at them, disappointed in them, um, preaching at them and saying, Hey, you need to do this because this is the right thing to do. Because like we said, it is very hard for somebody to A, recognize they're in an abusive relationship, especially mm -hmm. with that whole frog pot analogy, mm -hmm. that it was just so slow over time that they're still, they see good things in this person, even yeah. if the rest of us can see clearly they have emotions clouding their judgment. Yes. You never want to place blame on them, and you always want to allow them to make their own decisions. As Absolutely. much as we want to say, hey, you're not going back there, mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you, in the end, if they want to go back, they will go back because yes. you telling them, no, you're not allowed to do this is the same thing that their partner yes. is doing. They're taking their agency yes. and 
if you make decisions for them, you're taking their agency too. Absolutely. The, the main thing that we want to strive for and is part of our mission is empowerment. We want to empower people so that they have the ability to make that decision for themselves mm-hmm. and then continue to walk in that decision that they've chosen for themselves. So you can always provide them with resources, you can mm-hmm. offer solutions, and you can always have multiple conversations. Nothing like this is going to be solved in one conversation. One of the things that I came up with or coined um, last year was what I decided to call the friend model. And it was an acronym that I created um, in terms of this exact response of how to help a friend who's in crisis, whether it be an unhealthy relationship or whether it be someone who's experiencing, you know, sexual assault or who's gone through an assault. Um, The first one starting with F, you know, is to focus. And so I mentioned, hey, if someone's, you know, divulging this, you know, very intimate detail of their life, you want to be present. You don't need to be sitting there texting on your phone, ignoring them, or just kind of half paying attention. You really want to show them that you're listening. And so having that active and compassionate listening um, are being reassured. And like you mentioned, you know, being supportive. Um, we always, always want people to know that it is never their fault, that they are not to blame, that all ties hand in hand. And then I for inform. Um, So like you're saying, let people know what resources and solutions are available, especially on campus, on college campuses. Um, Only about a third of students know, you know, confidently, hey, these are the resources that are available to me. This is how I can report on campus. This is how I can receive counseling services. I know where the Safe Berks Advocate is. So we want to provide as much information as possible and be informed ourselves. E is empower. Um, we want, you know, as much as we want, like you said, to make that decision for someone, we have to allow them to make that decision for themselves. Um, N would be notice. So that's basically recognizing, you know, and this would go more hand in hand with mandated reporting, but noticing if someone is not okay, noticing if someone um, is being severely abused, noticing if someone is displaying maybe suicidal thoughts, behaviors, or ideation, and then you know making the proper referrals to individuals who can um, support them through that process if they need a higher level of care. And then D for demonstrate. So basically, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and saying, hey, you know, I'm gonna make sure that I'm also demonstrating healthy relationships because we want to be that example as well. Maybe no one knew before that that's what a relationship could look like. And so we also want to make sure we're practicing healthy relationships as well. Um, So there are a lot of resources, like we've mentioned multiple times throughout this, that are both local and um, national that you can reach out to. So I first want to start with how to report on campus. We have this handy dandy pamphlet in Boxwood House, which is where the Women's Center and the LGBTQ plus Resource Center is located. And it's called What You Should Know About Reporting Sexual Assault. And this is specific to sexual assault, but this can also be for domestic violence as well. Um, Getting help on campus. You can always go to public safety. Um, Their emergency number is 610-683-4001. And their non-emergency is 610-683-4002. Counseling services and psychological services are located in Beck Hall, um, as is the Health and Wellness Center. There's always the Office of Social Equity. Their number is 610-683-4700. And all of these numbers will be typed in the um, bio on Spotify as well. 
You can go to Student Conduct in 119 Stratton Admissions, and you can always come to the Women's Center and the LGBTQ Resource Center, which is located in Boxwood House, right across from Old Main. Then we have our lovely Safe Burks advocate, who is going to tell us about some services that she and their organization provides. Absolutely. So within my role on Kutztown's campus specifically, I am here present on campus Mondays and Thursdays at the Boxwood House. Now, if a student, you know, was in crisis, if I was to receive a call from Kutztown University Police, I can adjust my schedule accordingly in order to, you know, meet the needs of, you know, a student who um, may be experiencing a recent trauma as a result of domestic violence or sexual assault. Um, Within my role as the community response specialist on Kutztown's campus, my job is essentially to meet with that individual, provide support, whether that be accompaniment to law enforcement interview, you know, maybe they do want to report and they would like someone to go with them. Maybe they are interested in, you know, the Title IX process and they would like someone to accompany them to meet with the Title IX investigator. Um, Accompaniment is a big part of what I do. And then additionally, um, referring them to additional services. So um, the the services that we provide at Safe Burks, um, we have a myriad of services, all of which are completely free, confidential, and available 24-7, 365 days a year. Um, I want to start with our hotline services. So if someone, you know, has just experienced a trauma, let's say that maybe they went to the hospital following an assault, our hotline is there 24-7 so that either the client or a nurse would be able to access our services through the hotline and an advocate would be able to respond to that individual who was in the hospital 24-7, again, anytime. Additionally, all of our services that we provide can be translated into any language. We never want um, language to be a barrier to someone accessing services as well as um, their status as far as whether they are um, documented or undocumented. We are here to provide services to anyone. And again, that also applies to anyone regardless of age, race, gender, religion, um, minority, etc. Um, we, we want people to know that they can access services regardless. Um, additionally, in, a, in addition to those that 24-7 hotline, we have our shelter. Um, Our shelter uh, is actually currently um, getting ready to undergo construction. We're actually adding more beds, um, but we have a temporary emergency shelter for anyone who's experienced domestic violence, um, sexual assault, as well as their children and even their pets. Um, That's something that is a newer program, but we will partner to make sure that we can also find placement and resources for an individual's pet. Um, if they are, uh, if that person is seeking shelter, um, our legal services that we provide, we can um, provide accompaniment to filing a petition for a sexual violence protection order, um, as well as a protection from abuse order. I won't go too in depth on those, but essentially those are civil orders. Let's say someone maybe doesn't want to go through the criminal reporting process, but they're scared or apprehensive about being stalked, being harassed you know, or someone is intimidating them and threatening them following an assault, or maybe it's an ongoing abusive relationship. Um, Those are things that may be useful in order to prevent that perpetrator from interacting with, you know, that victim. 
Um, our MAP, our medical advocacy, which is also now within our community outreach department, but our medical advocates are available 24-7 um, in the hospital and also provide rapid response at night um, to people seeking emergency protection orders. Um, and then additionally, we have our counseling department. Our counselors can provide short-term empowerment counseling, again, free of charge. Um, all of our counselors are bilingual as well. Um, and then my department, the Community Outreach and Response Department, like I mentioned, I kind of am able to provide a myriad of safe work services on a smaller scale without the community and reach people who maybe would never have known about Safe Burks or are unable to travel to Reading. You know, maybe they're a college student who doesn't have a vehicle on campus and don't have the ability to travel into Reading. Well, okay, I can meet with them on campus and then we can provide them transportation potentially um, to receive services in person um, or work with them to coordinate, um, you know, remote services via telehealth. Um, so those are all different things that we can provide Additionally, in terms of things that I can specifically provide within my role, um, generally I will meet with a student and because I am um, a confidential advocate, I don't have the same burden of having to report um, to Title IX, having to report to law enforcement, therefore I don't fall under Kutztown's definition of a mandated reporter in that regard. What I do have to report is if someone res reports um, suicidality, homicidality, or if there's an identifiable identifiable child who's being abused um, from there I can meet with them and let them know the options that are available for for them knowing that they don't have to report they can just come to me and receive information um, knowing that they don't have to elect to go through any process um, and then if they do wish to go through any process I can either connect them with you know someone within our agency who can support them through that process maybe if they do want to file um, a you know protection order maybe if they want to receive you know a sane exam a sexual assault nurse exam at the hospital I can refer them to other people within our agency and still be that you know kind of contact person and act as their support through that process so um, I would encourage anyone who has additional questions to check out our website um, for additional information because I know that's a lot. Um, and additionally, in terms of how someone can reach me on campus, um, my email is victoriass at safeburks.org. And then I can be reached via phone. My work cell is 484-651-9745. Able to be reached via call or by text. So I know we've given you a lot of statistics and information throughout this show, so I want to tell you where we got all of our statistics and then where you can also go for more information. So you can look up RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, the NSVRC, which is the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, the NCADV, which is the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, PCAR, which is the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape the One Love Foundation, uh, the Joyful Heart Foundation, One in Six, and then the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233. I also wanna include our hotline as well on that, our 24 seven hotline. So our hotline number is 844-789-SAFE, which is 7233. So that's 844-789-SAFE. 
And then there also is our text line. Someone can just text Safe Burks to 20121. The National Sexual Violence Hotline is 800-656-4673. And recently changed is the Suicide Hotline is now just 988. It's a three-digit crisis hotline. Do you have anything else you want to say before we close out? I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Victoria. So I want to remind all of you to be an active member of your campus community. The Feminist Majority Leadership Alliance meets on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. in the Boxwood House. Allies meets on Thursdays at 11 a.m. in the Boxwood House. And It's On Us meets Wednesdays at 3 p.m. in the Boxwood House. The Boxwood House, home to the Women's Center and the LGBTQ Plus Resource Center, is here for you. Take advantage of our safe space to socialize, complete homework, and relax. We are located across from Old Main and can be picked out by our LGBTQ Plus pride flags hung proudly in the windows. Feel free to look us up on Instagram and check us out. This week, the Safe Burke Silent Witness Project will be displayed in Old Main Lobby. Tomorrow, um, we are collecting period products in the MCC Unity Room. However, you can still bring donations to Boxwood House up until November 10th. And this radio show will be airing on... October 25th, so that would be on October 26th. All right. On October 27th, this Thursday, you can join us for two great events. We are partnered with the Muslim Student Association for Henna Night from 4.30 to 6.30 in the Multicultural Center Unity Room. Then you can head down to the MSU 218 for the Rocky Horror Picture Show screening and shadow cast. This coming Friday, October 28th, it's on us has partnered with RHA to host a Bears at Night Halloween bash with the theme of costumes are not consent. We'll have snacks, games, and even a runway, so show up in your best costume. And just reminders, November 1st is your last day to request a mail-in ballot, and the polls open November 8th, so please make sure to get out and vote. Um, just a reminder, you are all beautiful people, and you deserve the best in life. Please continue to stay tuned to Kutztown University Radio for all sorts of other awesome programming. Reminder that you are not alone. We are here for you, and so many resources are here to help you. Stay involved, stay informed, and we'll see you next time on the Boxwood Banter.